0: The Diamondbacks and Astros had a showdown that delivered. There is a managerial change with the San Francisco Giants and possibly a Bay Area reunion. And Colin Ray provided the integrity of the pennant race. We'll explain. You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and happy Saturday. And welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is The Daily Podcast. We talk about all the Major League Baseball. I am yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. There's my lower third. You can call me Sully. I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for well over a decade now, and we're wrapping up my fifth full season here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. Thanks so much for making us your first listen. And listen to us every day and comment every day. Be an everyday listener, or as I like to call you, an everyday Sully listener. That's right. Be every everyday Sully. Put the hashtag on there. Let me know who's out there listening every single day. Follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter or whatever the hell it's called now. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. It is the final day of September 2023. Tomorrow is officially October and the final day of the season. Uh, Let's do a little bit of some housework right now. I had the trivia question, which was, who is the only Golden Spikes winner? The Golden Spikes, for those of you who don't know, is essentially the Heisman Trophy for college baseball. Who is the only Golden Spikes winner to ever win the World Series MVP? And guess what? Corey Osmer got right. A couple other people got it right, too. It's the same answer to the question, who is the only number one overall pick? to win the World Series MVP and that's Steven Strasburg. and maybe this part of me is bringing this up because uh, Steven Strasburg is is calling it a career and there are some people who try to paint Steven Strasburg's career as being a uh, a disappointment he's he was tremendously injury prone throughout his career uh he missed you know huge chunks of seasons and a couple of postseason one intentionally the 2012 postseason. Which I was incredibly critical of Rizzo and the Washington Nationals for holding him back and not pitching him because I said, How do you know when you're ever going to get another chance? You know, Washington at that time had not seen a postseason series since 1933. Why are you holding back a potential quality pitcher? And especially it came back to haunt them when their pitching staff fell apart against the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, in the end, and I said it on the podcast, the nanosecond they won the World Series with Steven Strasburg as the World Series MVP, it was justified. And yeah, Strasburg wound up being hurt a big chunk of his career. He also pitched 209 innings his final full season, which happened to be the year they won the World Series. He also was one, two, three times a top five Cy Young contender uh, in terms of the vote. So. Look, there are plenty of number one overall picks who, heck, some of them never even make it to the major leagues. And the Golden Spikes winners, well, there's some quality players in there, but there are also a lot of players who are like, wow, they won the Golden Spikes? I mean, they're an okay player, but come on. So look at 13 years of Steven Strasburg and about four or five of them, he was a legitimate all-star. You know what? That's a career worth saluting, and if this is indeed the end, thank you for that and delivering a world series title but let's stop talking about the past and talk about the present because games were being played yesterday with tremendous playoff implication and there was no game that was more i don't know a better example of two teams head to head this final weekend of the season that was more that had more uh, on the line for both teams And became one of the greatest thrillers of the year. And it was Arizona and and Houston. Now, if you looked at... Excuse me as I just coughed. If you looked at the season at the beginning of the year. And you saw that the final weekend of the season was going to be Arizona versus Houston. You probably... At the beginning of the year, you probably would have rolled your eyes. like, "Well, Who cares? who cares about that matchup i mean heck the astros are the defending world series champions are probably going to win 110 games and the diamondbacks maybe they'll sniff 500 maybe probably not probably will just be like you know they're uh, they're just they're, they're just hanging around and why would you end the season with a national league american league game well it all came to fruition that we're going into this final weekend of the season, and both the Astros and the Diamondbacks are fighting for their playoff lives. Now, as it turns out, all the Diamondbacks had to do was win last night. And Zach Gallen got the ball, and Zach Gallen pitched well, pitched into the seventh inning. And the uh, the Astros and the D-backs were, were uh, scoreless going into the sixth inning. Abreu hit a ball, which was originally called a home run. The replay showed it actually hit the wall. It didn't clear the yellow line in that weird little area there at, what is it called? Is it Chase Field? Is it One Ballpark? It's wherever the hell the Diamondbacks are currently playing. I can't remember the name of it. They changed the park's names too often for my liking. I digress. It was ruled as a two-run home run. I'm going to just say, I'm going to just pause this discussion of this great game and the implications that it has. When you have ballparks where they put these little nooks and crannies into it to make it feel old-timey, there's part of me that rolls my eyes at that. The reason why Fenway Park has the left field wall, Ebbets Field had that right field wall, that sometimes you'd see, uh, you know, like you know Crosley Field would jut in like that, Connie Mack Stadium would jut in like this. Forbes Field was shaped like this the Polo Grounds was shaped like that it was not because they thought oh isn't that old timey and quirky it's because there were roads there that's where Jersey Street was that's where that's where you know, the, the roads in Flatbush went like this and that so they had to build the park in the block that's why the wall was there not because oh wouldn't that be charming when you have these ballparks that are built in a parking lot Yeah, people liked having the nooks and crannies of the wall to make it feel old-timey, but at some points, those cookie-cutter ballparks had the right idea that, why don't we have it be symmetrical walls? You could do all the weird stuff here, but symmetrical walls. If you don't need to have it jut out or jut in, then, then let's have it be symmetrical. Okay? So you don't have situations like we had last night, which was, wait, when the ball juts in here, it's over the line, it's above the swimming pool, but Beyond a guy named Chet, then it's a double. No, let's make it easy. So you want to say, was that a home run? I don't know. Let's stop and see. I personally think they should have lined around every wall in Major League Baseball, when it clears the wall, a gong. Just a big old gong. So there's no question. Did it hit it? Bong. We hear it. No reason to discuss. You hear the gong? Hear the gong. Of course, that would be some guy in Oakland would be banging a gong. He'd be getting it on and banging a gong. But I digress. The Diamondbacks, the, the, the three-run home run turned into two-run double. And the Diamondbacks didn't score a run until the ninth. And but in the eighth inning, Jeremy Pena made a brilliant defensive play, which may you know, given the context of the play, may may have been the play of the year. And the Diamondbacks rallied in the ninth. All they had to do was get an extra base hit, and they would be in the playoffs. But Presley got the final out. Astros won that game 2-1. to one. So now we're going into the final two games of the season. Now, the Diamondbacks still just need to win one game, and they're in. But it's not outlandish to think that the Diamondbacks could lose two games. You could lose two games to anybody. You lose two games to the Astros, who are trying to win the division or at least clinch a spot, which is not guaranteed at this point. And uh, Kelly is pitching is a wonderful pitcher for Arizona. He's facing Justin Verlander, who you may have noticed in his last game is kind of sort of motivated. And if they win that game, which is it outlandish to think Justin Verlander could win a big game. Then we're going into the final game of the season. And I can't think of a better matchup in the final game of the season. Pitching wise than Arizona's TBD and Houston's TBD. Of course they're TBD because you don't know what's happening yet. But it could – the potential for log jams are are almost guaranteed. And so, yeah, let's have more games like that. Two teams fighting it out, playing hard. I mean, it was a two-to-one game, but no one choked – there were two teams. The Astros are a good team. The Diamondbacks are a good team. Neither one of them have clinched a playoff spot, and there are only two games left. That's why I love this week. I'm going to say a name. Again, you never know who's going to come up big in, in down the stretch. But I'm going to say a name, and I do believe – that he has restored complete integrity to the National League playoff race. And I'll tell you whose name it is. Colin Ray. Colin Ray is a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. He's not their number one starter. He's not their number two starter. He's not their number three starter. I was listening to <clears throat> the the Marlins-Pirates game because I'm fascinated with what's happening with the Marlins who are on the verge of a playoff spot they got they got one of their games rained away, and we talked about there is a combination of events that could force them to fly. I think I think they'd have to fly to New York, play one inning, to see whether or not that tiebreaker could come about. Um, part of me wants to see that happen just because it's so weird. I digress. The I'm fascinated by what's happening there. And as I was as I was coming home from work the other day, I was listening to the Marlins Pirates game and the Marlins announcers were lamenting the fact that they need help from the Brewers who are playing the Cubs because the Marlins need the Cubs to lose. I was reading an article on uh, MLB.com that said at the beginning of the month, according to fan graphs, the Cubs had like a 92% chance of making the playoffs and now It's uh, they're on the verge of elimination. It gives you an idea of how bad this month has been for the Cubs and why the Cubs announcers were so angry that the Braves were celebrating Ronald Acuna. Uh, I digress. Um, They were lamenting the fact that they need help from the Brewers to win a game. But they know that the Brewers are not going to pitch any of their top pitchers. They're not going to pitch Corbin Burns. They're not going to pitch Freddie Peralta. They need them for the the wild card series. And so they said they're throwing Colin Ray, but they they were kind of acting like, well, you know, the Brewers may not put up much of a fight or you can't rely on who the Brewers are going to be pitching. And they said they're throwing Colin Ray, but they were kind of hedging like, oh, boy, we're banking on Colin Ray to pitch well. Guess what Colin Ray did? He pitched well. He didn't throw a no hitter. He threw a complete game, but he pitched five solid innings and kept the Cubs flailing about. And ultimately, the you know it was a very well played game. The Brewers showed up. The Brewers didn't have to show up. You understand? You understand what I'm saying? The Brewers had if they just put out a minor league team, that is within their rights. There, there would have been no problem in so many ways if they just said hey look it we got three days here we're going to rest our starting pitches we're going to rest some of our players because we have a best of three series starting we don't know who our opponent is going to be but we know it's going to be here in Milwaukee we're not going to play Peralta we're not going to play Woodruff we're not going to play Carbon Burns those are our three starters for the series and they're going to try like hell to win that series whoever the hell they play they're going to try to win that series in two so they can have, if they start, let's say they start Burns one and Woodruff two, you're starting Freddy Peralta three, who uh, in the uh, uh, division series against um, either Los Angeles, I think it would be, I think they would be playing Los Angeles. Yeah. So you know, you're going to the Dodgers. If you win those games, you'd have to go to LA. And you'd want to start Peralta game one because then you know you'd have Burns or Woodruff in game two or three, which would be an advantage. There's a lot of things going through the Brewers' heads and giving a tiniest hoot about the Cubs and the Marlins problems. Ah, that's really low on their priority list. And yet Colin Ray showed up, and the team showed fight, and they want to walk off game. And so with that the Milwaukee Brewers can turn to the Miami Marlins and they can turn to the Cincinnati Reds who beat the St. Louis Cardinals like a rented mule last night. And they can tip their caps and say, I thank you. We did not get swept. We gave you both a hand. And if the Brewers completely get demolished by the Cubs, these last two games, they can at least look up and say, we took one of them. That's... For the integrity of the pennant race, I don't even think they owed him that, but they did. They got it. So good for the Brewers for showing up. And, hey, do you also say good for? Josh Bell. Josh Bell of the Marlins. Last night, the Pirates were beating the Marlins, and it was three bagel going late into the game. And the Marlins were rallying, but it looked like one of those days where like, oh, man, their bats are just not are not getting it today. And the Marlins were rallying in the eighth. And Bell was up. Bell and Berger, the two great, who would have guessed they would be the biggest acquisitions at the trade deadline. And Bell had two horrible strike calls go against them. One was clearly low. One was low and outside. So what should have been, a, at best, a two-and-one count, probably should have been three-and-oh, was now one ball, two strikes. And Bell took a step out, and I could tell. He, I was watching the game at that point, and you could tell he was angry. He was angrier than angry. And he could have yelled at the ump. I was thinking, what I would, I would have said something under my breath. I could have had an attitude, and instead, he launched a ball in the right field, sending home two runs, making a three nothing game, three to two. And the Marlins continued that rally and wound up taking the lead in that inning and winning the game 4-3. to three. And with that, and with the loss by Chicago to Milwaukee last night, suddenly the Marlins found themselves in a situation where, you know, if the Cubs had beaten up Colin Ray and the Pirates held on to that lead, then the Cubs would have leapfrogged the Marlins. Now the Marlins are in a situation where essentially – because they have the tiebreaker against the Chicago Cubs, they basically have to win today or have the Cubs lose. Because if even if they're only half a game ahead of them, going you know, if they finish the season with a half game separating the Marlins and the Cubs, the Marlins have the tiebreaker on the Cubs. They The Marlins are saying, we don't want to fly to New York to play one inning. Do you blame them? As much as I like chaos and anarchy, um, I don't blame the Marlins for wanting to avoid that. And so good for them for winning a critical game like that. And we're going into this final game of the season, or the final couple of games of the season. And at this point, the Marlins are only half a game behind Arizona. If Miami wins and the Astros win, then Miami will leapfrog into the second wildcard spot where they wouldn't be facing Milwaukee, they'd be facing Philadelphia. And Arizona doesn't want to be in a situation where they're finding themselves battling the Cubs. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy things that could happen. If the Reds win, they'll only be half. A lot of things could happen. And I want them all to happen. Uh, meanwhile, in the American League, it's a little clearer. Um, you know, we know we have we have two of the division winners already locked up, Baltimore. And Minnesota, Tampa Bay is locked up. But Toronto, Texas, Houston, Seattle are all fighting. And the Mariners, remember the Mariners were down to their final out against the Rangers, and the Rangers would have clinched a postseason berth. And instead the bullpen collapsed once again. Well, let's just let's just put this scenario out there, shall we? Let's say um let's say the Mariners win. And let's say the Diamondbacks win. And let's say Tampa Bay wins. If those three things, Mariners, uh, Diamondbacks, and Tampa Bay, if those three teams win, then we're going to the final day of the season with one game separating four teams for uh, basically for for three slots. So one of those will be – one of these teams are not playing in postseason. Texas, Toronto, Houston, Seattle. One of them will be on the outside looking in and looking back at these couple of games going, oh boy, what what just happened? What just happened? And what do I want? I want to go into that final. I want to go into tomorrow saying the same thing. Um, Gabe Kapler was let go as the manager of the San Francisco Giants. And I have mixed feelings about it. I never wanted Gabe Kapler to be the manager of the Giants to begin with. I never was that impressed. I'm sorry, I'm just adjusting my chair a little bit here. I was never that impressed by Gabe Kapler when he was the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. And I never, I this first year, which was the COVID year, I wasn't impressed by him. And then they won 107 ball games, 107 games and won the division. The the only time since 2013 that the Dodgers didn't win the division a year, the Dodgers won 106 games, the giants won 107 games and won the national league West and played that razor thin series between the Dodgers and the giants that sadly ended on a terrible check swing call. That's what anyone remembers of that series was the check swing which was a a wonderful series played by two rivals. um, And we remember a blown call. So anyway, bad. don't bring it up. Um, The Giants fell to 500, and they are going to miss the playoffs again this year. Um, They were a competitive team, but they're going to be sub-500 team. They were a playoff team for a big chunk of the year, and they fell apart. They fell off a cliff in September. Um, Kai Correa is the was the bench coach and he has been promoted to manager for the last couple of days. Um, I, okay. I, I never thought the giants were as good as they were when they won 107 games. I think a lot of things broke right for them that year. I also don't think they are as bad as they've been the last two years, but you can see the giants making this move. Uh, I know Kapler, uh, you know he's a member of the 2004 Red Sox. I'm glad I got that trivia question in the other day about how many um, how many managers were former players under Terry Francona. Um, I'm glad I got that in before Gabe Kapler got canned. Uh, Kai Correa is now listed uh, along the same people as John McGraw, Leo DeRocher, you know, Roger Craig, Dusty Baker, Bruce Bochy, all former Giant managers. Kai Correa. Has joined them. Congratulations! You've joined that elite group. Um, <laughs> I I understand why they got rid of him um, because they probably want to go. To the, they're probably going a different direction. Now he's the, like the best friend of the general manager of the team, and he's a little bit is saving his own face uh, to, to basically say oh, we're blaming it on the manager, but. I got more than one person asked me, why are you going to fire him with only a couple of days left in the season? I get that too, in a way. If you're going to get rid of him, why are you going to have him sitting around and be the manager of a team that he knows he's not there? If, I would say, if you know you're going to fire someone, if you're going to fire the manager, do it. You know, it was, maybe you're showing your teams, your fan base, like, okay, yeah, this is not working. And we're going, we're we're being proactive, and there have been instances where a manager has finished out the last couple of days of the season. And it's always a little weird. Um, I like the fact that Kai Correa gets to have on his resume that he was a major league manager. There's some people who absolutely should have been major league managers uh, who have never never got the chance. You know, Chris Chambliss always comes to mind. I have no clue why he never got a shot. And uh, get your drinks out. Bruce Bochy's lieutenants, still no managerial jobs. Kai Correa gets to be a Giants manager, but not Hensley Mullins. Not Roberto Kelly. Not Tim Flannery. Really? Um, But around this comes a very interesting chain reaction of rumors. Bob Melvin, the Padres, are the absolute poster children of a disappointing season, despite having a phenomenal final month of the year and a a legit chance to have a winning season. If they win the final two games, the Padres will at least finish the season with their nose above 500. But this is a team that many people, including your pal Sully, thought was going to the World Series. And they were three wins away last year from going to the World Series. And there's a lot of grumbling about how the leadership of the team is not there. And that is code for manager. And you've seen more than one account that maybe Bob Melvin is the person whose butt is on the hot seat. If Bob Melvin is fired, he will be unemployed for four seconds, three, because he's a native son of the Bay Area. Born in Palo Alto. Went to Menlo Atherton High School. Played for the Giants when they went to the playoffs in 1987, was on the team. Has many strong ties to the Bay Area, including his many long years as a manager of the Oakland A's. And would join a fraternity of one other person, Alvin Dark, to have managed, if he joins the Giants, to have managed both teams. And I'm talking going way back to Philadelphia and New York. When John McGraw and Connie Mack were the managers forever, the Giants and the A's were World Series rivals over several decades in Philadelphia and New York, and then later met in the World Series in 1989, which is only remembered for the earthquake. They've made the postseason at the same time, many times both in San Francisco and Oakland. But the only person to manage both teams was Alvin Dark, who managed the 1962 uh, National League Champion Giants and 1974 World Series Champion A's, which is a great accomplishment. Most people remember the fact that he was uh, not the most progressive-minded person in the world, but I digress. Uh, Bob Melvin, if the Padres fire him, will be the Giants' manager. I mean, it's not even—it's not even a discussion. It's not even a conversation, which is probably something that will give the Padres pause. Because if they let go of Bob Melvin and he signs with the Giants and the Giants improve under Bob Melvin's, as teams tend to do, remember he managed the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks to the league championship series in 2007 despite having a negative run differential. He took several Oakland A's teams to the postseason despite having a lower payroll than the Lockdown Podcast Network and took the San Diego Padres to game five of the National League Championship Series. These are all things that Bob Melvin has done. He has shown he's a capable manager, who's won the multiple times, been won the Manager of the Year award. And I think he probably still has a home in the Bay Area. So yeah, he'll be the Giants manager if the Padres let him go. So it would not stun me if all of a sudden Bob Melvin gets a contract extension offer from the San Diego Padres, especially if they finish above 500. If they can say, hey, look, this is the route we're going to go. And let me tell you something. I'm in California right now. And I've lived in the Bay Area. And I've spent a lot of time in San Diego. If If your backup plan is being a millionaire in San Diego, you've done something really, really, really well with your life. Which brings us to our trivia question. In 1985, Roger Craig became the manager of the San Francisco Giants. In 1986, Tony La Russa became the manager of the Oakland A's and both those managers went on to have great success and delivering penance to their respective franchises. Since their arrival, since the arrival of those two managers, Craig and LaRusa, who were the rival managers in the 89 World Series, only one Bay Area manager has not delivered a division title to their franchise. And I'm not counting Kai Correa as interim manager, but of all the Oakland managers since the arrival of LaRusa and all the Giants managers, since the arrival of Roger Craig, only one manager never delivered a division title to their team. Who was it? Who was it? And there have been, look, at there have been one, two, three, there have been one, two, three, four, five managers of the Giants. And there have been, uh, and since then, five managers for the Giants, not counting Kai Correa, and one, two, three, four, five, Six managers for the Oakland A's. Of those combined 11 managers, only one never delivered a division title to the Bay Area, which goes to show that the Bay Area has had a lot of Octobers in the last few decades. So that's your trivia question put it here in uh, YouTube or at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Paul Simon at Solid Baseball, Solid Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Let's start a fun day of baseball. This has been Locked On MLB for the final day of September 2023. I am your host Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.